thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. If you've not been before, we've been doing a series on Elisha, the character of Elisha, the prophet Elisha, uh, and many of the incidents in his life. And today, we've got quite a big chunk of story to read through. Um, so I'm going to read bits and stop every so often. Um, but I want to say there are many, many gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in the Bible. The Holy Spirit, we talked a bit last week about being filled you know, we've got to sometimes empty ourselves of all the other stuff so that he will fill us afresh. You know, we've sung many, many times that will, you know, spirit of the living God fall afresh on me. And when we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you might think of, you know, prophecy, the prophetic. It does say eagerly desire the greater gifts, and one of those is prophecy. It talks of words of knowledge and healing, and there's often people get into controversies about the gift of tongues, or tongues, depending on where you come from. Uh, but there's one that doesn't get the credit it deserves. Hospitality. Okay. Hospitality, the gift of hospitality is a gift of the Spirit. That means being open to others, being generous with others. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. You know, we've thrown our house open many times to lots of young people, teenagers, and all sorts of things. It wasn't really because I wanted to, God made me do it. It must have been a gift. You know, it was one thing my mum and dad taught me they had an open house from young people who would come for food on a whim and a chat to the Gideons who would have their meetings there and we'd have to be shut away in a cupboard. Not really, but it felt that way until the food came out and that was the best part of the night we could go down and eat. Um, but actually, they would do that. They started a youth get-together that became so popular that one week, I can remember, their lounge was full, their dining room was full, their hallway was full, there were people sat all the way up the stairs, there were people on the top landing, and it was a fairly large house, but I can remember, I think they counted in total the number of people that got in their house that day was about 100. And why were they there? They were there to hear God's word, sing worship, and maybe have food and a cup of tea. Don't know how they managed that on that night, because they probably couldn't move. And health and safety would have said, you shouldn't have done it, George and Pat. But they had a gift of hospitality. That was the result of that hospitality. And I learned through that, that it was important and vital to welcome people in. To my life, to my home, and to my heart. So many of you young people are now leading in churches across this country and their children too. So what was the result of that hospitality? It was a legacy of people of faith because they turned up to be together. That's a really important thing. I know there are people watching in China. Hi, Ian Salter. I know there are people watching in Portugal. I think Faye, hi, Robert Faye. By a pool probably. And I'm very jealous. But there are people who don't meet together and it's vital that we meet together the result of those meetings together those young people where they were filled not just with food 
but with the Spirit. They were filled by what God wanted to do. So hospitality is vital and powerful. And today, we see hospitality in action in our story. Hospitality that leads to hope and eventually leads to healing. So it's crucial. You are looking at me as if to go, what are you going on about? Let's read. Let's read from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 to 17. As I say, we're going to read quite a lot of verses this morning. I'm going to stop in little chunks just to give you a a taste of what's going on if you've not understood some of it. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 to 17 say this. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. Hospitality, generosity. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Since she said to her husband... I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. That is hospitality, isn't it? She's built a room on the roof so he can drop in whenever he wants. Now, Spring Martin, I'm going to ask you, anyone willing to do that? Nope. 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 Right, well, by the end of today, God's going to speak. <laughs> and you're all going to have rooms on your houses, need not. But generosity, again, we see a woman in the story who's not given a name. There's no clarity of what she's called. She's just the Shunammite woman. You know, that would be like being called the Daltonite woman or the Barovian woman or the whatever woman. Being named after where you come from. But she's clearly wealthy and with resources to spare. But she doesn't hold them tightly. And she doesn't keep them to herself. She's generous. She's generous with what she has. You know, sometimes we might look around and go, I wish I had that money. I wish I had that. But actually, God might want us to have something that we give away. It's not about having so that we keep it. It's having so that we pour out. It's having so that we're generous. She uses her resources to help house somebody who's going to bring God's word to the people. She uses it for God's glory. You know, Elisha would have travelled from place to place preaching and sharing God's words to the people. He would have travelled around, but he would be completely reliant on others to house him. He wouldn't have had a wage. He wouldn't have had place to go to. He would be completely reliant in these places that somebody would put him up. There was no premier in. There was no travel lodge. If we go to the New Testament, when Jesus sent his disciples out, we see the same principle. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, don't worry about putting it up, it's only a few, verses 6 to 13. Sorry, I didn't send them to you this morning, Paul. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Jesus said to his disciples this, Take nothing for the journey. No travel sweets. None of those things covered in ice and sugar that blow up everywhere. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. In other words, go as you are. Do you know this morning, God welcomes you as you are. But actually, he wants us to grow in him so we change and don't stay there. But it's not about somebody else changing you, it's God changing you. There are people and there are things that we do that actually God says, that's not great. And he wants us not to stay where we were, but to move forward, to get rid of the things that stop us being filled, like we said last week. Take everything, no bread, no bag, no money, your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. 
Could you imagine setting out on a journey not being prepared? Yeah? Who packs for a journey at least two or three days before they go? Hands up, anyone? Okay. Who's the sort of people who are packing the night before? Okay. Yeah, I'm glad to say I'm, in it. I'm, I'm welcomed here this morning. You know, Naomi, I don't believe you packed the night before. I believe you must be like sorted. No, no. These disciples were told, go with what you've got. Why? Because you want to be faithful. You want to rely on God. God's going to provide. God's going to give you what you need. That's the message, isn't it? God is going to give you what you need. He will give us the God. He is the God of enough. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So in other words, Jesus says, go and expect hospitality. What's the result of the hospitality? It finishes with this. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The result of hospitality was healing. The result of being hospitable and generous was there was healing brought. So this woman builds a room for retreat to enable others to hear from God. Let's carry on reading our story. I'm talking fast this morning because there's a lot of things I've got to read, okay? So I'm sorry if I'm, if you want to go back and listen to the podcast, you can do it on slow motion, I think. And I, I can slow down. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 4 goes on to say this, verse 11 to 14. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room. Notice it's his already. He knows it's his. It belongs to him. It's been given. It belongs to him and he lay down there. He said to his servant, so not only are they putting up him, they're putting up his servant. Double generosity. Gehazi, he said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked Gehazi. And so it asked. And Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. She has no son and her husband is old. So a few things as we go through this story. She had no son. She had no children. She was barren. She was unable to have children. That was often a sign of the judgment of God. So even though she was being generous to God's people, she was doing the right thing. She was giving and she was giving. Some of the people in the neighborhood would have gone, oh, she's obviously done something wrong because she's not got any children. So she was looked down on even though she was in a position of wealth and faith. So even though she's faithfully providing and generously giving, life wasn't easy, is what I'm saying. She had no son. Secondly, she had an old husband. A bit like Roz had an old husband. What did that mean? Well, widows, when a husband died, a widow would be left to depend on the community around them if the husband died. But she is comfortable enough to say, you don't need to speak to the kings, the commanders locally, because I've got a home and I'll be okay. I'll be okay. My people will look after me and I'll be okay. She's secure in what she has. So Elisha brings a word of prophecy from God as a result of her generosity and faithfulness. Here's the word of prophecy he gives her. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. In some versions it says, don't tease me. Don't raise my hopes. 
But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. You know, God's promises are true. We can trust God. His promise is delivered. And it says, you're going to be pregnant. And she goes, no, don't build my hopes up. And actually, we see she becomes pregnant. Do you know, our response to things can be very telling, can't it? Yeah? When we respond to things, we can tell. Sometimes many of us have got a face that tells what everybody's doing before we say it. Some of us are very good at hiding it. You know, when I tell, if Ross says to me, do you like this dress? If I don't respond quickly then she'll think, oh, he's not keen. Yeah, everyone experienced that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does Alec Paul often ask you if you like his dress? Yeah, yeah. okay, maybe. If I don't respond quickly enough, it's telling. Or if we ask our children if they've done something they shouldn't and they hesitate, what does that tell us? The response tells us, yes, they've done something they shouldn't and they don't want to tell us, usually. Because if they haven't done it, they go, no, not me. Sometimes some people are very good at going, no, not me, even if they have. But anyway, the woman's response here is strange. She says, having recognised the man's holiness and godly anointing, she says, don't tease me. Don't build my hopes up. A bit like Sarah and Abraham in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis. Sarah and Abraham were told they were going to have a child in their old age, and they were like laughing. So they called him Isaac, which means laughter. There was also maybe a little bit of fear because her husband is old. If she gets pregnant, not only will the rumour mill go she's barren, and she's been barren with this man all this time, all of a sudden they'll say, oh, EastEnders moment, who's the daddy? That's what they'll say. They won't believe that it's, it's God's plan because this, where she's living is fairly godless. So actually, all these things that are going to happen are going to kick into another problem for this woman. Yet she's been generous, she's been hospitable, she's been faithful. She's got problems. You know, God doesn't promise an easy ride, but he does promise to be with us and he promises to get us through it. You know, Elisha speaks God's word. And this promise and the resulting fulfilment helps the woman with what comes next. Do you want to say, we had a, a situation for three years where Chloe was paralysed down this side. Many of you who've, who've been part of our lives and the church's life for many years will know that Chloe in year 10 at school dropped a pencil. Suddenly she couldn't pick it up. They thought she'd had a stroke. They took her to hospital, couldn't work out what it was. But basically for three years, she could not feel anything down the right-hand side of her body. She couldn't move her arm. So if someone went to shake her hand, she'd have to go like this. She taught herself to write left-handed. Her dream was to be a midwife. Her dream job was to be a midwife. She might be rethinking that now. She is one, but that was her dream job. And so she set about going through all sorts of options that she could do that eventually she could be a midwife. But she said, I can't do the apprenticeship. I can't catch babies because I haven't got my use of my right arm. But for three years, in many different situations, God kept saying to us, You'll get through this. Somebody, somebody, soul survivor, spoke and prayed for her and prayed for her. And they said, as they prayed for her, they said, I just see. They didn't know her situation. They didn't know she couldn't feel anything or the struggles she was having. They prayed for her and they just said, I've got a picture of a path that's going through very, very dark, tangled woodland brambles. It's very narrow. And actually, there's no way either side. But they said, at the end, you'll get through this path, is what they said. And actually, at the end, there's open space. 
So we grabbed hold of that as a promise of God to say, Chloe will get through it. Because actually as well, the same week somebody else prayed and said they've got the words of Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And so the word through kept coming back from God as a promise of God that Chloe would get through it. Did that stop her being frustrated? No. Did it stop us going, God, what are you doing? No. Did it make me think, stop praying for her because actually what's it going to do to her faith when every time someone comes and prays for her, something's not happening. She's just going to go as a 16-year-old girl. Do you know what? I've given up on this. No. But the promise of God in that situation to us as a family was she would get through it. So we held on to it. And last month she started as a full-time midwife. Because God's promises are true. If we hadn't heard that promise of through, 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 then we wouldn't have known what was coming next. Many times it looked like there was no hope. And yet, we kept opening ourselves up to God. We kept opening our home up to people. We kept doing the things that we felt God calling us to do. Not because we thought if we do that, God will hear our prayer, but because that was what was right. So through hospitality was hope, through hope came healing. Because God is good. This woman is going through the mill, even though she's been faithful. She's built a room on a house. And yet all these problems come at her, even though it's an answer of a promise, the gossip around her would have been severe. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 18 to 22 goes on to say this. I'm doing okay, I think. The child grew. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then... He died. That's a good advert for generosity and faithfulness, isn't it? God gives a promise, then he takes it. Surely not, let's carry on. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God in Elisha's room, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Weird, yeah? Would you agree? Weird. What's going on? What's going on? Tragedy strikes. The son that was promised dies. And again, that was usually thought of as a judgment of sin in the Old Testament. You remember the man that was brought to Jesus and he said, who sinned, him or his father and mother, that he was blind? It was a judgment of sin. So all this time she's being faithful and there's people going, ah, you've done stuff wrong. You've done stuff wrong. You've done stuff wrong. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And yet she keeps persevering with the God who loves her. She keeps pressing into what God has given her. Look at her reaction though, isn't it strange? She lays him on Elisha's bed, shuts the door. There's no wailing, there's no crying, there's no mourning. It's weird. Let's find out why. Bodies in that day would have been buried within 24 hours. Yet what does she do? Going for a little trip. I'm going to get a donkey. I'm going to go and see Elisha. Not only that, she doesn't even tell her husband that the boy's died. She doesn't tell her husband what's happened. She shuts the boy in a room, closes the door, says to her husband, because her husband's been out in the field, remember? He just sent the boy home. What faith does she have? What is faith? What's the definition of faith according to the Bible? Just to see who's awake. Hebrews says... Faith to be sure of what you hope. 
faithful. Certain of what you do not see. Anyway. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you don't see. She doesn't tell her husband has died. She goes to see Elisha. What's Elisha's response? Let's read. 2 Kings 4, 23 to 26. Why go to him today? This is the husband. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. And her response is, that's all right. She saddled the donkey, said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, here's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything's all right, she says. I told you Elias, she was weird. I said, what's going on? Husband's response needs a little bit of understanding. He says, why are you going to him? It's not the new moon, it's not this. This is a little bit like special occasions where people would gather traditionally to meet and hear God's prophets. So in other words, although they were becoming more and more godless, they were celebrating two festivals where they would listen to God. A little bit like many people go to church at Christmas and church at Easter. So he's saying, What's, why are you going to see the prophet? It's not Christmas or Easter. That's effectively what he's saying. It's nothing, there's not a special occasion. Why do you need God? Why do you need to go to church? Well, well, well you don't need to go. It's not, it's, you know, we've not got chocolate eggs around the mantelpiece or tin slop. Why? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it was Christmas or Easter, okay? Jesus hasn't been at this moment. I'm trying to get you to understand where it is. But the culture was that many people were just not meeting together. I want to stress to you, the church, it's vital to meet together. It is vital to meet together. If we weren't meeting together as a family in Chloe's crisis, we wouldn't have heard God say those things. If we weren't meeting together, if we were just watching YouTube podcasts or, or sermons and worship, we wouldn't necessarily have heard it. It's all very well doing that, but you know what? We need to be together. There was an advert, wasn't there? We want to be together, okay? It was a brummy, not a very good impression. We need to be together. If you hear nothing else this morning from God, the Bible consistently says we need to be together. Okay? That's all you need to write down on your notepad if you don't want to hear anything else. We need to be together. This woman has faith and it's grown. Why has it grown? Because she has regularly met with God's person. Yeah? Would you agree? She's got faith because she's regularly met, specifically with Elisha. Do you know, many people struggle with life and it throws all sorts of stuff our way. But you know, sometimes your struggles are greater because you've stopped meeting together. And because you make excuses, sometimes good ones. And maybe sometimes you'll stop meeting together and things will be okay. And then when it goes pear-shaped, who do you call? Not Ghostbusters. Oh, don't, don't, don't call me, I'm necessarily. But at the same time, who do you call? You call people that you're connected to in church. Get connected, get together and do those things because excuses aren't good enough when we're talking about the King of Kings. How would the Queen's family felt if people had turned down the invitation to go to the funeral? To be together as family in that moment. We need to be together. This woman has faith that God through Elisha can turn her situation around. There's no time to mourn. She wants to see God because God will sort it. She wants to see Elisha. Get to God and watch what he can do. And twice she says, it's all right. Her son's dead. Twice she says, it's okay. It's a bit like if you come into church and someone says, how are you doing? And you say, fine. When actually everything's falling apart. But this isn't, she's not pretending she believes that God is going to change this son's life. She has the promise of God that she's going to have a son 
And she's holding on to that. She's holding on to that promise. She's not in denial. She's not delirious. She's not avoiding the situation. She just believes that God has promised and is faithful and just to deliver. Do we? We need to be together. She's shown hospitality and we see her hope. Yeah? Hospitality brings us hope. Let's see what finishes the story. 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. God has said to Elisha, there isn't everything all right, something's wrong. But he doesn't know quite what. God has said there's something not right. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. That's so he could run. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. It's a bit rude, but hey. It was important. It was urgent. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. It gets weirder, okay, just so you warned. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. And later on, we see kings coming to ask this woman in 2 Kings 8, chapter 8, coming to say to her, why should we be faithful to God? And she tells her story of what happened. Her testimony is the powerful nature of God. Finally, we see hospitality that leads to hope leading to healing. Can you imagine, this might be why some of you don't respond to prayer. When we say you can go and be prayed for at the back, do you think someone's going to lie on top of you, eyes to eyes, <laughs> mouth to mouth, hands to hand? That's not what they're going to do. Well, unless God tells them that's what they're going to do. We're going to do some training in a few weeks. I'll tell them not to do that, okay? They're not going to do anything weird. They're just going to pray for you. And as they pray, maybe God will say to them, this is distress. A bit like Elisha knew. There's a distress here. That's what happened to us with Chloe. People prayed and God spoke into our lives. Can you imagine if the prayer team did it? Don't worry about it. But I'm going to give you five very, very, very quick things from this final bit. Don't worry, they are bullet points, okay? I'm not going to go five. It's not five-point sermon to finish off, okay? Number one, the old way wasn't the answer. The old way isn't always the answer, okay? Why do I say that? The servant used the staff to bring about healing. Well, the Israelites were used to the staff being really important. Moses used his staff to do everything. But in this case, the old ways didn't work. The old ways aren't always the best ways. The staff was regularly used as a symbol of God's presence, but it's not enough to do just what we've done in the past. We need to keep moving forwards towards God. Because, do you know what it says, Isaiah says? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. God is a God of today and tomorrow. 
Number two, the miracle takes time, but things warm up and get better with perseverance. Okay? The miracle takes time, but things warm up and get better with perseverance. You know, just like last week and many other times, Naaman and the man that Jesus healed with mud in his eyes, the miracle and the answer isn't instant. Elisha lies on him, then paces, presumably praying and seeking God, and then lies on him again. Just a quick thought about lying on him. Symbolic, isn't it? Do you know, God wants to have every part of your life this morning. He doesn't just want your hands to do things. He doesn't want your feet just to go. He wants every part of you. He wants you to see what he's doing. He wants you to hear what he's doing. He wants you to be able to speak his truth to your family and friends. He wants you to know him. He wants you to use every part of you for his glory. Thanks, Gary. (laughs) This is saying, Elisha lay on him. The Holy Spirit, the, the God that he served, needed to touch every part of this boy's life. Every part of who he was, not just a little bit. You know, Christianity is not just Sunday mornings. This represents not just dealing with the injury, not just dealing with the head where the problem seems to be, but dealing with everything. That's number two. Number three, the response has to be gratitude. When the woman's told, take your boy, she doesn't immediately get the boy and run off. The first thing she does is she gives thanks. She doesn't forget where it's come from. So don't forget where it's come from. The whole episode here is about response. Did I say five? I meant three. I've done three. Thanks. Thanks, Joel. (laughs) I told you there was a lot. A lot of reading. This whole episode is about response. And as I finish this morning, what are those responses? First of all, there's a generous response to God. She builds a room on a house. Generous response. Secondly, there's a faithful response. She will not take this tragedy as the end. She keeps pressing into who God is. Thirdly, there's a faithful response. Sorry, that's the second response. Thirdly, there's God's response to us, which is, he says, what can I do for you? How can I help? How can I be involved? Let me into your whole life. That's God's response to send his son Jesus to die so that we could live. And finally, there's a thankful response. So this morning, how do we respond? How do we respond? Maybe this morning, you need some healing. This woman needed healing in her life, yet she was faithful, she was generous. She admitted she needed God and she ran to the man of God to get that help. She didn't just stay at home waiting and and pondering it. She ran to the person who could do something about it. This morning, our prayer team are there to pray God's word over you, to speak God's truth into you, to encourage you, to lift you before God and say, God, we need your help.